Richard Desmond is the billionaire at the heart of Westminster's latest scandal. Richard Desmond did not respond to requests for comment. The decision on his development, though, is now out of Mr Jenrick's hands. But it's not the first time he's made headlines. There was this allegation back in 2004, for example. He launched an extraordinary tirade accusing the chief executive of the Telegraph of being a miserable little piece of shit, saying that all Germans were Nazis. And I think he marched around the room, goose-stepping. The former porn publisher and media mogul started as an outsider. So how did he end up at the centre of a British political scandal? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Richard Desmond, the man, the mogul, the scandal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't know how many other people can say this. I am among the few who can say they've read Richard Desmond's biography. Gabriel Pogrand is politics and investigations reporter at the Sunday Times. And lately, he's been diving into the world of British billionaire Richard Desmond, partly by ploughing through his book, The Real Deal, the autobiography of Britain's most controversial media mogul. My favourite subject, me, and it tells the story of from start from three years old to today. It's a book which goes from rock and roll to variety to Sam Fox to David and Victoria Beckham to Nigel Farage to David Cameron. It really covers every, every, every subject. The real deal. I told him that when I approached him on WhatsApp. Um, I said, listen, I, if there's anything which your book taught me, it was that a bit of chutzpah, being a cheeky chappy, being direct are all things that you value. So in that spirit, would you like to chat? And so began Gabriel's exclusive interview with Richard Desmond, the man at the centre of the political donation scandal engulfing Westminster. I've got to say he was very open to idea and we have had a series of conversations, including an interview he gave in the Sunday Times, which had some significant implications for Robert Jenrick. The implications being that the housing minister, Robert Jenrick, now stands accused of being involved in a cash-for-favours scandal. I mean, at times I was uh, I was quite shocked. I had to keep asking myself whether we were on the record. That our exchanges were so profane. There's a lunch with the FT with Desmond, one delightful part of which is that he left the author with a, I think it was perhaps the most expensive ever lunch with the FT, In any case, in addition, in this interview, the guy who does it, Henry Mance, remarks upon his appetite for swearing, and he he hasn't lost it since, based on our conversation. 
I mean, it's amazing that he agreed to do it because you demonstrated the right degree of chutzpah, but also that you've read the book. I mean, that tells you something about the man, doesn't it? It certainly does. His life is an extraordinary story. Whatever you want to say about the guy, he sure as hell ain't boring. Richard Desmond's latest appearance in the news comes courtesy of his business plan to build 1,500 homes in East London and some rather awkward exchanges with the housing minister, Robert Jenrick. If you've missed the headlines, here's why Gabriel decided to give Desmond a call. Well, unfortunately, this does require dipping our toes in the water of planning law, but I will try and make it digestible. So... Richard Desmond has for several years now, through his company Northern and Shell, been seeking permission to build a large development on the former West Ferry Printworks site in the Isle of Dogs in East London. He wants to turn this disused area into luxury flats. They could be headlines from the tabloids he once owned. The tale of the media mogul, the minister and the billion pound property deal. Every year, the Tory party holds an event called the Carlton Political Dinner. Housing Minister Robert Jenrick might be relatively new to government, but the allegation against him is as old as politics itself. Cash for favours. The event is held at the Savoy Hotel, and essentially ministers are put at tables with donors. In last year's iteration of this event, Jenrick was sat next to Desmond. Meet at a dinner, exchange some messages, and less than two months later, the plan is approved, after previously being rejected. One of the most extraordinary aspects of this story is that Jenrick proactively texted Desmond after the event. He messaged him to say that it was great to see him. How do we know this? Robert Jenrick himself released a tranche of documents including his text messages with Richard Desmond after the dinner. I recognise that there are higher standards of transparency expected in the quasi-judicial planning process, which is why I will also release discussions and correspondence which the government would not normally release. I feel almost dirty asking, but it's not often you get to read communications between two big figures like that. What, What else do they say? Desmond says to Jenrick via text, Your efficient PA, her name is redacted, has arranged a meeting for the 19th of December at 10.30am for meet and site visit. We appreciate the speed, as we don't want to give Marxists loads of dough for nothing. Thanks again. All my best, Richard. He gave the scheme a green light literally 24 hours before a local tax would have kicked in in Tower Hamlets, forcing Desmond to pay between 30 and 50 million pounds. Generally went further, he waived the normal affordable housing requirements for this development, sparing Desmond 106 million pounds, which he would have had to have spent on low-cost homes. So, I mean, this is It's a deal of the century. I mean, it certainly looks like a sweetheart deal from afar. And a fortnight after the approval, Richard Desmond donated £12,000 to the Conservative Party. Robert Jenrick now admits his decision to give permission for Richard Desmond to build 1,500 apartments at this East London site was unlawful, but insists it was not as a favour and he won't be resigning. The question 
publicly and politically and probably also legally is is anybody willing to believe given the amount of contact that Jenrick wasn't even subconsciously influenced by Desmond and swayed in his direction by their conversations he does not admit bias he says that his actions created the appearance of bias and in the planning world the appearance of bias is itself a legal issue it is malodorous and it looks really really bad for him And for the Tories, who are kind of presenting themselves as the people's government, it looks bad. Now, this isn't the first time that Richard Desmond is somehow in the middle of a a political scandal. He's been a generous donor to lots of different parties. How did he first come on your radar? What made you pick up and read a copy of, of his book? He's a character who clearly believe that he is maligned by the establishment. I think I read his book because I thought it would be kind of interesting and entertaining to get his viewers to the real Richard Desmond. I mean, he, he, he is just such a rich and colourful character. I mean, he's bankrolled the Brexit movement. He gave up six-figure sums to New Labour. I mean, he never stays out of the headlines for too long. He's a fascinating character. Richard Desmond's first foray into the business world was an unusual one. He left school in his teens, but There's a lovely tale as to how he got involved in business, which is that his father, Cyril, abruptly lost his hearing. And as a result, his father started taking him to business meetings. Young Richard was there to act as his ears. And so from a young age, I think kind of business and being an entrepreneur were in his gut. He's not your conventional Tory donor, put it that way. Tell me a bit about Richard Desmond's background and his early years Was he from a rich family? So he grew up in North London. He was from a Jewish family. I think his family were Latvian Jews. And his father was also involved in advertising. His parents split up after his father lost a huge sum of money to gambling. Aged 11, Desmond moved into a flat above a garage with his mum. He dropped out of school when he was a teenager. And he's written that... His adolescence was a time in which he was very lonely. He was clearly a kind of lost person at a young age. In his book, he says that he aspired to become a chazan, which is a cantor in a synagogue. Singing was something which gave him a lot of joy. So I think kind of music was something which gave him solace. By the time he was 18, he had become the sales director of a music magazine. And he essentially went into the kind of music advertising industry. And then Desmond performed a remarkable move, which is he broadened his way out of music and into the world of softcore pornography in the early 80s. This is the kind of point at which Desmond starts to become more of a public figure. He started to publish Penthouse, It was in the same decade, in the 80s, that Desmond bought, I think, rather more seedy publications, including Asian Babes, which was a publication with which he is intimately associated. And indeed, there's this kind of rather iconic or memorable interview with Tony Blair. When you go uh, back to those uh, old-fashioned values, how are they consonant with your party taking money from a pornographer? You know, the, the, these funding stories, they come, they go. This is, the, the, these are people who own the Express newspapers. Yes. Right, well, in that case, in my view, it's perfectly acceptable for us to take a donation from them. They also own horny housewives, mega boobs, posh wives, skinny and wriggly. 
Do you know what these magazines are like? No, I don't. He bought the Daily Express and the Daily Star, so it became a newspaper proprietor, um, and then Channel 5. By the 2000s, he was a billionaire and a media mogul, and it was around that time that he took a keen interest in politics as well. It's really interesting that he aspired to work in the synagogue and then ended up as this sort of porn baron. I mean, how does he feel about his career and, and the way he made his money? I think in some ways, as a businessman, he is amoral. I mean, he also kind of drew to me upon this distinction, which is that, you know, he, he merely provided infrastructure to publish this pornography rather than himself being behind the magazines in question. Now, he was making a lot of money with his porn empire. What made him branch out to newspapers? I mean, was that an attempt to to, to buy influence and, and have a seat at the table when it comes to the establishment? He's had a you know, historic interest in publishing, so I don't think it came out of nowhere. But he has certainly used his publications to project um, his own values and causes. He has now sold the Daily Express, but under his management, it became a kind of bugle of Brexitism and was alongside the mail, a kind of really significant publication in making the arguments against the EU that, in the end, had expression in, in, in the referendum of 2016. He's obviously politically promiscuous. You might say, like a good billionaire, he's happy to align himself to whoever the incumbent inhabitant of number 10 is. What do we know about his time owning the paper? How much did he change it, and how was he viewed by staff? I mean, he, he, yeah, he changed the tone of it. It was uh, very controversial for its reporting on the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. And under his direction, he'd kind of sponsored a lot of stories implying that the McCann parents were responsible for killing her. And, of course, the McCanns later sued for libel and achieved complete vindication. I mean, it was, you know, ruthlessly commercial, very raw, very direct. Um, and he says, you know, I don't give a toss about ethics. I'm not in this business because of ethics. I'm in it to make money. What interest, if, if any, do you have in ethical standards within your papers, or is that purely a matter for the editors? Well, um, ethical, I don't quite know what the word means, but uh, perhaps you'd explain what the word means, ethical. In January 2012, Richard Desmond appeared before the Leveson Inquiry into the culture, practices and ethics of the British press. As I say in my statement, we don't talk about ethics or morals because it's a very fine line and because everybody's ethics are different. Hmm. Well, you, maybe you don't talk about ethics or morals because you, you, you simply don't care less about them. When we were texting the other day, Desmond asked me to send regards to an unnamed former Express journalist who now works at the Sunday Times. They uh, <laughs> essentially said that they were kind of shocked that that was what he had said because they recalled that he had once apparently locked somebody in a cupboard and when he was annoyed with them about something, there was a case in which the executive editor of the Express, I believe, launched a tribunal or, or, or a kind of legal claim against him after leaving the paper and alleged, this is denied by Desmond, that Desmond had in fact punched him in the face on an occasion. So, uh, you know, I think uh, he, he ran uh, the publication with vim, vigour and energy and an occasional dictatorialism that any of his former colleagues will not quickly forget. Is it true that one journalist used their final column to send him a bit of a message? <laughs> 
it is not denied by the journalist in question. So this is Stephen Pollard you're referring to, who is now the editor of the Jewish Chronicle. At the time, he was the leader writer at The Express. He used his valedictory leader to write, I think, about an aspect of European Union policy. But the leader actually was an anagram which spelt the phrase, Fuck you, Richard Desmond. Hello, I'm John Pienaar, and if you enjoy the Stories of Our Times podcasts, do tune into my afternoon programme on Times Radio. Wherever you are in the world, join me as I talk about the big issues of the day to experts, journalists and guests. Listen to my afternoon show for free on DAB Radio, your smart speaker, online at times.radio and via our Times Radio app. Every Monday to Thursday, 4pm till 7 on Times Radio. Know your times. Richard Desmond may have had a difficult relationship with some of his staff, but his wealth, estimated by the Sunday Times Rich List to be £2 billion, says something about his success as a businessman. Look at Channel 5, look at OK Magazine, look at The Express. These are the reasons why Desmond will say that he's unfairly maligned and he's actually one of the great businessmen of British society, etc., etc. I think that ship has sailed but he, he does have some significant commercial achievements to his name. You know, I'm not here to be his hype man. I think you'll have got that from the tone of this interview. But he is not like Trump in terms of fraudulent claims to greatness when actually he was just the beneficiary of a large inheritance. I still think he has a point to prove. I think he is wounded and hurt by the way in which the kind of Fleet Street have always delighted in describing him as a former pornographer Private Eye call him Dirty Des. I think it hurts him. I think he's at once a controversial and confrontational, but also rather sensitive man. And the controversy does seem to dog his career. I mean, um, Westbury is now at the you know the heart of the scandal because that's where he's trying to build this project. But it came up before with an incident where he met a company with German associations. Can you tell me a bit about that? Desmond had contemplated buying the Telegraph newspaper and ended up kind of scoffing at the asking price and was in particular kind of annoyed that a German firm was likely to buy it from the outgoing proprietor, Conrad Black. And so there was a report in 2004, which I you know, I think he denied, um, which is that he launched an extraordinary tirade against Telegraph bosses at a meeting of their joint venture print works accusing the chief executive of the Telegraph of being a miserable little piece of shit, saying that all Germans were Nazis. He marched around the room, goose-stepping, making Nazi Sig Heil salutes and generally disgracing himself. I mean, it was obviously a kind of extraordinary anti-German outburst, multiple witnesses have said. That, you know, that, that he did this and also referred to Conrad Black as a f-ing fat crook. So, yeah, it's a, it's a memorable episode. It does seem like he almost courts the controversy. I think he courts it. I think some of it is inadvertent. I mean, in that particular instance, I mean, this, this is the guy, the peak of his powers and controversy. I think he has mellowed since. Why does he donate so much money to political parties? What do you think he's after? He wants influence. He wants access to the corridors of power. He told me 
this weekend that he'd been at a business reception at number 10 last September and pressed the flesh with Boris and made sure that they discussed something which he wants to happen, which is legislation that would allow him to raise the maximum jackpot of his lottery scheme. And it's interesting you mentioned that story about Boris Johnson, because is this now the generic scandal expanding and taking in others around him? I mean, how, how much access has Richard Desmond have to other members of the cabinet? It looks like that, you know, it, it is a possibility. I mean, it has sort of happened now already, because the Daily Mail have been asking for weeks for Number 10 to provide clarity on the level of Johnson's contact with Desmond and whether Desmond ever raised the Westbury development with him, and they've not yet provided answers. So no, I mean, I think this could look rather awkward for Boris Johnson as well. He's certainly had a colourful business life and a colourful political one. You know, he has been a donor to every, every party almost, you know, from Blair's Labour to UKIP and, and now the Tories. How does this scandal end? How do you see it playing out? I think one important thing to understand about Boris Johnson is he values loyalty very highly in others and himself shows loyalty towards kind of subordinates and allies. And so I wouldn't be surprised now if Boris does not sack Jenrick. I think as a politician, he has been severely damaged by this. But I think in a way, you know, the kind of more fertile area for stories might be Boris and Desmond now. And I'd be very interested to see where that goes. I will be doggedly investigating it uh, myself. And as a journalist, what has this episode shown you about the way the world currently works? We all suspect that billionaires have kind of cushy relations with politicians from certain parties. We all suspect that they get access which ordinary people don't. What is so rare and so special about this story from a reporter's perspective is actually seeing that in black and white. I mean, when do you ever see a Secretary of State texting the likes of Richard Desmond? The answer is practically never. But Westbury has now been subject to such a close and rigorous level of scrutiny that it has revealed some wide truths about the way that power operates in our country. Do you think anything will change? We are at the outset of five years of Conservative domination of Parliament and politics. They have a whopping majority. What it could do is impact on public perceptions of the party in the long term. It may kind of slowly, slowly create a kind of sense of sleaze and impropriety and double standards within the government that we know has dogged the Tory party in the past. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Sunday Times politics and investigations reporter, Gabriel Pogrand. You can read more of Gabriel's work on this and other scandals at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Leona Hamid and James Shield. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rolfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If, like Rich Desmond, you like a bit of chutzpah, I'm hoping you won't mind if I ask you to leave us a review. 
please. You can subscribe now so that you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. See you tomorrow.